You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, March 8th, 2022. I'm Cutter Babcock. And I'm Ellie Shannon. And you're tuned in to KCSU Fort Collins. On today's show, I go over campus and local news with details on a drunk driving death in Fort Collins. I go over new updates and COVID-19 statistics and policies, and we hear about electric vehicles, climate change, and how Colorado is doing compared to other states. After that, Coda goes over details on a box of human remains being stolen from a Denver freight truck. Then we hear from Jack Balsley and Mike Walsh on the state of the NBA with KCSU Sports. To conclude today's show, Coda explains some updates on technology with details on drones and social media amidst the crisis between Russia and Ukraine. Let's move right into campus and local news. On to campus news for Tuesday, March 8th. Colorado State University men's basketball team played Boise State University in their last regular season game on Saturday night. CSU won by just three points, making their overall record 24 wins and four losses. CSU women's basketball team beat San Jose State in their first game of the Mountain West Tournament. CSU men's team will be heading to the Mountain West Tournament Thursday night. A CSU research team has recently discovered that drugs used to treat malaria can effectively treat a pulmonary disease. The disease is like tuberculosis, and the study was featured on the cover of Science Transitional Medicine in their issue from February 23rd. The research was led by lead author Juan Manuel Bilar Dinelli, a research scientist in CSU's Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Pathology, and Professor Mary Jackson, also from the same department. According to Jeff Dodge of CSU Source News, the lead authors are now working with doctors at National Jewish Health to administer the drug that proved most effective, called OZ439. This will be administered to those particularly with cystic fibrosis. Many of the dining operations in Lori Student Center at CSU are going cashless, with almost half of the LSC being cashless already. Jeff Valdez, Assistant Director for Retail Operations at the LSC, told Piper Russell of the Collegian that debit and credit card sales have increased. Besides using debit and credit cards, Apple Pay and Ramcash can also be used at any dining location in the LSC. If a student only has cash available, they can deposit as little as $5 into a Ramcash station or get a Ramcash Express card if they forgot their student ID. Now on to local news. A winter storm is in the forecast for Wednesday. Expect bad road conditions tomorrow and make sure to listen to Coda Babcock's updates on weather coming up in the episode. Last Thursday, a woman died from severe injuries after it was suspected she was hit by a drunk driver. The crash sent two Fort Collins women to the hospital last week after a 2017 Kia Sedona rear-ended the woman, sending them off the road into an intersection. According to Sadie Swanson of the Coloradoan, Benjamin Eisenberg of Fort Collins was arrested on suspicion of four felonies, two of which include vehicular homicide while driving under the influence and vehicular homicide while driving recklessly. Eisenberg was posted on a $25,000 bond on Monday. Anyone who witnessed the crash or has information about it can contact Detective Daniel McGraw at 970-962-2258. Nicholas Mango, the suspect in an early 2021 stabbing in South Loveland, has pleaded guilty to attempted murder and faces up to 10 to 14 years in prison with the plea agreement he took. Mango faces three felony charges, including the charge he pleaded guilty to 
as attempted second-degree murder. In January of 2021, Mango was arrested after police responded to an incident involving a 42-year-old man suffering from life-threatening knife wounds to the neck. The victim's name has not been released, and updates on his condition have not been reported. Mango's sentencing will take place on May 2nd. For more information, visit reporterherald.com. Pooter School District is no longer requiring masks on school buses as of last Thursday. The district contacted families with children who ride the bus, stating that if students choose to wear a mask, they will be supported. Molly Bohannon of the Coloradoans stated that the CDC updated its masking guidelines for school busing. For more information on masking in Pooter School District, visit coloradoan.com. Make sure to listen to the Rocky Mountain Review Tuesday and Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. Thanks for listening to my campus and local news updates. I'm Ellie Shannon, and this is KCSU on 90.5 FM. 90.5 KCSU is your student radio station. This is Darren and Ben and Michael, and we are Wolfer. Hey, this is the Red Scare. I'm here with Upward Bound and One Stop Shop for the freshest local and international tunes. back on the Rocky Mountain Review. If you missed any part of Ellie Shannon's campus and local news, check out our podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to listen back. I'm Coda Babcock, and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University reports over 9,000 total cases of COVID-19 among students, staff, and faculty at the university. Five new cases were reported among students yesterday, along with no new cases among students or faculty members the same day. CSU no longer requires masks on campus, except at specific facilities like the CSU Health Network. Larimer County reports low community transmission based on Centers for Disease Control and Prevention guidelines. The county says it's had over 76,000 cases of COVID-19, along with nearly 470 deaths. Larimer County reports a case rate of just over 40 cases per 100,000 residents in the past week, and only 4.5% of all COVID-19 tests administered in the county came back positive. New COVID-19-related hospital admissions remain low in the county, and under 3% of inpatient beds are being used by COVID-19 patients locally. The state of Colorado reports over 1.3 million cases of COVID-19 and over 12,000 deaths. Over 4.7 million people receive testing in the state, and over 60,000 people are hospitalized in Colorado. 10.3 million vaccines were administered in Colorado, leaving nearly 4 million residents immunized against COVID-19. The CDC reports over 79 million total cases of COVID-19 in the U.S., along with over 950,000 deaths. Around half a billion vaccine doses have been administered nationally, 
and over 81% of all eligible people received at least one dose of an approved vaccine. Alexander Tin at CBS News reports that a new study out of the UK showed that COVID-19 caused, quote, significant deleterious impact on the brain. In this study, hundreds of people who had COVID-19 prior to April 2021 participated in brain scans and cognition tests, which proved change in brain function after COVID-19 infection. The study was published by Nature with the help of scientists in the United Kingdom conducting the research. The data recorded came from UK Biobank and used over 400 people's cases, with all of them being 51 and 81 in age and having COVID-19. Brain scans and tests were first recorded before COVID-19 infection, and then around five months after a positive test to analyze the difference. A control group was used to measure average deterioration as well. Researchers found that participants who had COVID-19 took longer to complete cognitive tests and their brain size decreased with specific damage or changes to parts of the brain that handle smell and memory. I'm Coda Babcock, and that's all for Tuesday's COVID-19 updates with KCSU News. Information from this segment comes from Colorado State University, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, CBS News, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. If you're a student, staff member, or faculty member at CSU, visit covid.colostate.edu to submit vaccine information and get the most recent information on COVID-19 at the university. Today, I'm joined by David Kiva from EDF Action, the advocacy end of the Environmental Defense Fund, to go over green energy investment in Colorado. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Coda. Of course. So to start off, can you explain why Colorado could especially benefit from additional green jobs? There's sort of two pieces to it. I think Colorado and especially Fort Collins, given all of the expertise and and all of the, the unique role that Colorado State plays as a leading research university, can prepare some of the students who are going to lead the way for our clean energy transition. The jobs that are coming up in clean energy, in atmospheric research and environmental research, those are the jobs of the future. And and Colorado State is doing an incredible job of of preparing some of the leading minds and and bright people who are going to lead the way forward, not just in in the coming years, but for the decades to come. But Colorado and, and Coloradans know this. They don't need to hear it from me has been really uniquely harmed by what's already happening with the climate crisis in recent years. Uh, As I was preparing for this interview, I just read the Marshall Fire was the 14th year in a row that Colorado had extreme weather event that cost over a billion dollars worth of damage. So there are people out there who say we can't afford the types of investments we need to get the climate crisis in check. I think Coloradans understand that we can't afford not to because we're already paying the cost of climate change. And the scary thing about the science, Coda, is that even if we do everything that we need to to get climate change under control and and slow global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2030, as the international scientific community tells us that we have to, we'll basically freeze things right where they are in terms of extreme weather danger. It'll take a very, very long time before we undo some of the harm and some of the risk that we've put ourselves at but for these extreme weather events. And I've had the great pleasure of talking to folks all over the country, and I know what a significant hardship the wildfires throughout the American West have caused. And I know the hardship that hurricanes have caused in, in the Gulf Coast, but it's easy for people who don't live there to just say, 
oh, well, extreme weather is mostly wildfires out west or hurricanes in, in the Gulf Coast. Every single community across this country is vulnerable to the impacts of climate change. There's been an awful lot of focus on West Virginia because Senator Manchin may provide the 50th vote to move forward with a, a big climate package. West Virginia doesn't get a whole lot of hurricanes there. It's, it's sort of landlocked, but it is a very hilly, mountainous state. So I read a report recently that said they were at number one risk of floods caused by exacerbating climate change and that flood insurance was getting hard to come by in West Virginia. So even in places that you wouldn't think of it, we're all at risk to the dangerous impacts of a changing climate. All right. Thank you so much for kind of giving an overview of the situation. So Colorado is eighth in the nation when it comes to switching to electric vehicles and electrifying public transit. Many of our public transportation options in the state, like buses, are moving to hybrid or electric power. Can you explain how much of this number is really impacted by consumers leaning more towards electric in their purchases of new vehicles? Yeah. I, look, I think Colorado has, has led the way in climate and conservation stuff for a very long time, and that they're up to 8% electric vehicle drivership in the state is is a remarkable feat. We need to get that number up to 100%. So a big part of the president's plan, which EDF Action is really strongly supporting, involves encouraging people to move faster to make that transition. And the best lever that we have to encourage people to do that is tax credits. Electric vehicles right now cost more to buy and to get into than a, a vehicle powered by fossil fuels. That $7,500 tax credit that's part of the president's plan is going to go a long way to, to helping to close that gap. The other good news is that once you're in an electric vehicle, it'll just be better. They're quieter. They perform better. They're faster. President Biden got in an F-150 Lightning, the, the best-selling pickup truck in, in America, the electric version of it, when he was in Michigan, stepped on the gas and and the CEO told him to go zero to 60 in something like 4.1 seconds. I don't think I've ever been in a car that can move that fast. Electric vehicles perform better and they cost a lot less to maintain. An electric vehicle, for instance, will never need an oil change. Uh, so American consumers are going to want to get in electric vehicles. American companies should be building them and, and leading the way. And American students, especially at leading research institutes, should be providing the expertise to help us make battery storage, make it so that your electric vehicle can go further and, and, and faster. What government needs to do and what EDF Action is strongly calling for Congress to do is to pass a set of incentives, specifically the president's tax credits, send them to his desk so we can sign them in the law so we can speed up this transition even faster. All right. And then while you've given a good foundation for kind of the background on this, a lot of people are really anxious about the switch to electric and other more green energy types, partially because oil and gas has been reliable to them in decades. And they fear that buying an electric vehicle is kind of an expensive risk to them. Can you explain a little bit more about your organization's view on electric vehicles and why you think that consumers really need to look into that switch? You did a nice job of pointing out that we've been talking a lot about cars, but it's not just cars. It's buses, it's public transportation, it's, it's changing the way that we get around. Our parent organization, EDF Advocacy, is the advocacy partner of the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF just put out a study about a week, week and a half ago, that showed that within five years, it's going to be far cheaper to own electric buses and electric heavy-duty trucks than what we've currently got on, on the road. So in terms of that anxiety, I would suggest to folks, Go ahead and take one for a test drive. It's totally free. 
talk to somebody who owns one about the maintenance costs and and how much lower and and less they are. And they're getting better and better every single year. For instance, especially in terms of the amount of mileage that they get. Another thing that I hear about from time to time is uh, so-called range anxiety. Well, if I buy an electric car, will I be able to power it up or will I get stuck if if I'm driving it? There's a lot that still needs to be done legislatively to address the climate crisis, but some has already been done. The bipartisan infrastructure bill that the president signed about 110 days ago makes a $7.5 billion investment in building out a nationwide network of electric vehicle chargers so that if you buy an electric-only vehicle, you'll know that you'll never get stuck and you could drive from coast to coast across the country and repower it at key strategic spots. So that's really important. And we also talked a little bit at the top about wildfires. It's an infrastructure bill. So of course, they're going to rebuild roads and bridges, which have been crumbling. But they're also going to invest record amounts of money and resilience to make our communities withstand the impacts of climate, the climate crisis, including the wildfires that have plagued Coloradans for far too long and, and cost a billion dollars worth of damage for each of the past 14 years. All right. And then in a press release from your organization, as you said, it says the Build Back Back Better agenda from President Biden would improve electric vehicle charging availability. Um, It would also bring additional green energy jobs and potentially improve the air quality, especially in places like Colorado that have really suffered due to oil and gas. Can you explain, can you address what leads Colorado's difficulties in meeting these clear air standards um, within natural gas and how exactly Biden's infrastructure plan would help address that? Yeah. Colorado, for for starters, has done a lot of things right in terms of environmental policy. Forgive me, this doesn't directly answer your question, but I think it's it's an interesting and and important point. For instance, um, EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund, has been a real leader in pushing for um, tightening up methane's leaks, which are methane's a super pollutant that is a, a real source and, and cause of, of greenhouse gas emissions and, and global warming and climate change. The legislation that um, EDF has supported is modeled after a step that Colorado took first. So it, Colorado has historically been an oil and gas state, but it's also shown some leadership um, with, that we've tried to follow at the national level in terms of limiting the impact that that has on, on our environment and specifically limiting methane leaks. So I think there's a lot of opportunity that's out there in the president's climate agenda. There's a lot of good things that have already happened as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law. There's much, much more that needs to be done. But if we can do it, we can create hundreds of thousands or millions of good paying American jobs in clean energy. And what's given all of us and the president, especially a little bit of room to run in recent years, is I'm old enough to remember when opponents of taking meaningful action on climate change were successful for a very long time in creating this false argument that you could either do the right thing for the planet and the environment, or you could do the right thing for the economy. The American people now understand that the jobs of the future are going to be in clean energy. It's given the president room to lean forward and and, um, put forward the most ambitious plan that we've ever seen on to address the climate crisis. And what will, if we can get this bill over the finish line, be the most significant investment that any country in the world has ever made to address the climate crisis. We can't afford to go backwards, and I don't think that we're going to, in terms of erasing that understanding that the jobs of the future are in clean energy, 
And if we get our public policy right, those jobs are going to be here in America and America is going to assume a place of global leadership and lead the rest of the world forward in a clean energy transition. All right. And then you've already addressed a lot of the investments that are already kind of there in the Build Back Better agenda. But what other investments are really necessary for the U.S. and Colorado, especially to fight climate change? And how do these new policies start to address that? One of the first things that President Biden did that EDF Action loudly cheered was commit to rejoin the Paris uh, Climate Accord. And then a few months later, as part of our homework for to the rest of the world for Paris, we committed to a nationally determined contribution on climate. Our country basically made a commitment to the other signers of the Paris Agreement that we were going to reduce our overall emissions by 50 to 52% within the next decade, because this is the critical decade for addressing the climate crisis. There have been a number of studies that have shown the way forward and how we can get there. This piece of legislation is absolutely critical to it. It's going to count for as much as uh, 50% of our overall emissions reduction, potentially, if we can get it over the finish line. It's why I'm talking so almost myopically about it and why I care so passionately about it. But there are other things that we're going to do as well. I've already touched on methane a little bit. Getting methane leaks from um, mostly from, from the production and transport of natural gas under control can eliminate as much as 15% of our, our overall greenhouse gas emission, can have a huge impact on what we're doing. And then we've already talked about the opportunity that's out there and, and the role that students at institutes of higher learning like Colorado State can play in, in helping to bring it about in developing new technologies in, in clean energy. We're going to need some more of that, but the good news is we're investing in it as well. So there are a lot of different things that need to happen in order to meet our commitment to the rest of the world. But the single biggest one is is this legislative package that the president's been out there campaigning on for a long time. And it's why I'm so focused on it. All right. And then looking back to the State of the Union address, which happened on March 1st, how does your organization view Biden's efforts to really address climate change as a crisis in that address? Well, we wish he would have talked a little bit more about climate in his State of the Union, but we liked what he did have to say. Importantly, he connected the types of changes that he is advocating for with costs for American families. And he pointed out that the average American family, if we pass his clean energy plan, are going to save an average of $500 a month on their home heating and cooling bills by the end of this decade. He also pointed out that if we can get people into electric vehicles sooner rather than later, they'll be saving an average of $80 a month of paying at the pump. Uh, He acknowledged that costs are a real concern for Americans right now. I certainly feel it in my family. And he committed to get costs under control and do everything that he possibly can to to do that. I know that a lot of us are watching um, with some mix of, of horror and outrage, the needless invasion of Ukraine that's happening right now, that invasion has caused a spike in global energy prices. And American consumers are are paying the brunt of some of that by paying a lot more at the pump. I think what we've heard from the president is he acknowledges that that's a problem. He's committing to work to solve it as best he can and to eliminate some of that pain. But some of the opponents of a transition to clean energy are out there making the same old arguments they've always made that somehow we're going to drill our way to energy independence. And it's the president's commitments on clean energy that have somehow made us weaker or more vulnerable. 
I don't buy that for a second. I think the only way for us to achieve energy independence, period, is to move faster to a transition to clean energy, to get our energy from uh, the wind, to get our energy from solar panels, uh, because that stays here. We have plenty of it, and it's a great domestic source of energy independence. And in the long run, A, it's what we need for the planet, um, but B, it'll strengthen our economy and reduce costs for consumers. All right. And then kind of moving back into Colorado, Colorado recently saw a pretty severe heat wave. We went from negative seven up to like 60 and 70 degrees this week. So what is important to understand when looking at the current state of Colorado's climate and the potential of these policies to really help stop that from getting more severe? Yeah, look, this impacts everybody. We've already talked about that a little bit, but I know there's an awful lot of people who ranch or farm in Colorado. That's hard work. And extreme weather and not being able to anticipate when it's going to be hot and when it's going to be cold makes it much, much harder to plant and harvest a crop. I don't want to take it away from Colorado, but before I was part of the Biden administration, I was part of his campaign. And one of the things that I was really proud of was we did a video series that highlighted the impact that climate was having on real people across the country. And the first one of those that we did turned into the first ad that any candidate has ever run exclusively focused on climate in the general election of a presidential campaign. And it was in a bright red politically part of Michigan in Western Michigan, and it featured a cherry farmer. And if you've ever been to Michigan or talked to folks who are from there, you'll know that they are like crazy proud of their cherries in in Michigan. It's this huge source of of civic pride. It's sort of like the Rockies are to Coloradans. He said that he was shifting his production because of exactly the types of weather shifts that you were just talking about with unseasonable freezes, killing off as much as 50% of his potential cherry harvest. And he needed to to tear out a bunch of his cherry trees and replace them with apples because apples were, were hardier. So that's but one example, but it's it, there are examples everywhere all across this country. That same video series included profiling a young beekeeper who was learning the craft from his dad. He was a second generation bee, beekeeper outside of Phoenix. They were picking up their apiary and moving it to North Dakota because they couldn't deal with the extreme heat. So climate change is here. It's having a huge impact on people all across this country. It's fueling the terrible wildfires in, in Colorado and, and elsewhere. But it's also leading to unpredictable, unseasonable weather with crazy whipsaws between cold and hot. And we got to do something to get it under control, because if we don't, it's just going to get far worse, unfortunately. All right. And then something that EDF really prioritizes through their action and is grassroots work and grassroots action against climate change and against organizations that are actively contributing to climate change. So how can local Northern Colorado residents really work to make that change if they feel like not enough is being done in their cities, counties, or in the state to address it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, first of all, try to engage, pick up the phone, Call your city councilor, call your mayor, call your state representative, call your state senator, or ask them what they're doing to uh, move the ball forward on addressing climate change and urge them to do more. For a lot of the overwhelming majority of people have never, ever done that. But if you lift up your, your phone and you lift up your voice and you do it for the first time, the first time or two might be kind of scary. Pretty soon you find out that A, it's not that hard. 
And B, it makes a difference. Even just sending an email, you will get a response. It might be from somebody who's helping them out at the staff level, but I promise you they log how many letters they get on any particular issue on a specific week, and they share it with the elected official before the end of the week. So get in the game, participate. It's critically important that everybody participate in our democracy and everybody who's eligible to goes out and votes, but then hold them accountable. Talk to your elected officials, tell them what you expect, urge them to take action to address the climate crisis, and EDF Action can help. Um, You're welcome to visit our website at edfaction.org to learn more about our, our advocacy efforts. There's some tools that you can find on our website that will help to put you in touch, especially with federal elected officials like your two senators who've been pretty good on on climate issues and your members of Congress, who some of whom are also real leaders in, in this space. All right. And then is there anything else that you think listeners need to know about climate change or EDF action? Yeah, I appreciate that. I could spend all day talking about this, but I think you've asked really smart questions. I was reading your bio before we got on here, Coda, and I understand that environmental justice is a real area of passion for you. So I just wanted to share with you, because I hadn't touched on that yet, that that's really foundational to the president's plan. And it's something that EDF Action cares deeply about as well. And I haven't double checked this, but I'd be shocked if I was wrong. I heard the president specifically call for action to address environmental justice in his State of the Union on Tuesday. I've already shared that I I wish he'd talked about climate a little bit more, but I have to say seeing environmental justice specifically called out in the State of the Union made me really proud and I was happy to see it. And I know that the types of commitments that he's made to address environmental justice are moving us in the right direction. When I was at the White House, I had the pleasure of serving with the Senior Director for Environmental Justice at the White House, my friend, Dr. Cecilia Martinez. She didn't have a predecessor. There had never been a Senior Director for Environmental Justice at the White House before President Biden promised that he would appoint one, and he did on his very first day. Working with her was such a joy and an inspiration and and a pleasure. He stood up the first ever White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council because he told environmental justice leaders that if they if he was going to get it right, he needed their input and guidance and counsel in order to do it. And he's promised to make really historic investments to address environmental injustice, specifically of all of this clean energy spending that we're talking about that we need to move our economy forward and, and to tackle the climate crisis. He's committed that 40% of that overall investment will find its way to disadvantaged communities. And there's money in the infrastructure law to clean up brownfields, Superfund sites, polluted areas that are disproportionately cited in in disadvantaged and, and areas and areas where people of color live. And the largest investment in history to deliver clean water to the American people. So those, those are foundational environmental justice issues. There's reason for some optimism there. But we all know there's an awful lot more work to do. All right. That's all the time we have for today. But again, that was David Kiva from the Environmental Defense Fund's Action End. We'll be right back with national news in just a minute.
Hey there, I'm Lauren from the Collegian at RMSMC and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock for KCSU News. This is national news for Tuesday, March 8th. Congressional negotiators are working towards a deal on emergency aid to Ukraine, along with other funding. Richard Cohen at Reuters reports that lawmakers worked to find funding for aid, along with other needed funding for the U.S. government. As Congress seeks to provide additional COVID-19 aid and funding to prevent a government shutdown later this year amid the Ukraine crisis, Democrats and Republicans are working to finish writing legislation by today. Congressional Democrats work on this bipartisan effort while also trying to push President Joe Biden's infrastructure package through, as Biden's approval went up following his State of the Union address, where he spoke on the matter just one week ago. Senate Republicans are concerned about the cost of these plans, citing a lack of room in the budget to make it through the fiscal year and support an infrastructure bill. As Congress worries about U.S. funding issues, several members of Congress are urging Biden to send fighter jets to Ukraine, according to Newsweek and The Guardian, with the Biden administration also exploring a ban on Russian oil. Monday, Denver police began facing federal trial for the use of force during the protests following George Floyd's death two years ago. According to Colleen Slevin at the Associated Press, this case is believed to be the first case challenging Denver police behavior during protests in 2020. Denver residents protested from May 28th to June 2nd that year, and 12 protesters say they experienced skull and jaw fractures, internal bleeding, and burning eyes, skin, and throats after police assaulted the group. In response to these allegations, city lawyers say that pepper balls and other chemical agents are only used in response to aggression towards police, but that peaceful protesters could get caught in the same area. They defended officers, showing information on 80 injured police officers with many injuries coming from concrete and bottles launched from the crowd. In other cities like Austin, cities are paying out millions of dollars to peaceful protesters injured by police from similar protests in 2020. Also in Denver, a freight truck was broken into with a box of human heads stolen in the process. CBS News reports that the box was in the transport process to be used for medical research and was parked in the Central Park neighborhood on Thursday morning. No arrests have been made in the case so far, with Denver police conducting an investigation into the theft. So far, it's believed that the box was stolen between Wednesday afternoon and Thursday morning. The thief also stole a dolly from the truck. Denver police are offering up to $2,000 for anyone offering tips on the identity of the thief or the location of the box. Police say they aren't aware whether the thief knew the box contained human remains, even as it was labeled exempt human specimen. Please ask that anyone with information on the thief or box's location call 720-913-2000. Again, that number was 720-913-2000. Legislators in Arizona's state Congress introduced nearly 100 bills focused on restricting voting access. According to Kirk Siegler and Liz Baker at National Public Radio, Arizona's legislature is responsible for 10% of bills intended to restrict voting in the country. Arizona's status as a swing state makes these bills especially relevant, as the state struggles with its perspective on voting integrity. Arizona State Representative John Fillmore introduced several bills working their way through the legislature and says that this isn't about making it harder for Americans to vote, but respecting the wishes of his constituents, who reported concerns on voting to the representative. One recent measure in the state could have ended mail-in voting access, while others would allow the state legislature to alter election results. During one bill, where Fillmore argued for all voting to be completed on Election Day in a registered voters' precinct, Fillmore said, quote, We need to get back to 1958-style voting, end quote. 
Voting rights and civil rights groups responded to this argument, pointing to the state's segregation, law history, and their impact on voting. Fillmore responded to the point, saying he meant, quote, you had voting in the precinct with government identification. You had counting done in the precinct reported that day and that night, end quote. That's all for National News. I'm Coda Babcock for KCSU Fort Collins on 90.5 FM. You're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review. Hey, it's Mike, and we're here with the first episode of the KCSU Sports Podcast. I'm here with Jack. Hey, what's up, guys? Today, we're going to be uh, covering some professional sports. In specifics, we're talking about the NBA. Jack, do you want to run us through the uh, power rankings that they recently posted? Yeah, so right now, we're definitely looking at some switch-ups because... After this all-star break, we've been getting some, especially with the trades, you know, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with number one, we obviously got the Suns, and for you, Mike, that's, that's you love to see that's it. That's great. <laughs> and then uh, number two, we got the Grizzlies, number three, we got the Heat, four Celtics, and my favorite, number five, we got the Nuggets. Time to represent. <laughs> yeah, man, and and uh, it's really been shaken up because the Nuggets have been on a hot streak. I know last night they just lost to... The Thunder, but it, they've really been able to prove that uh, they can still be a playoff contender, even though Murray and Porter are out. But oh, yeah, I feel like the Nuggets are along the same lines as like the Mavericks. Yeah, they don't have like a ton of amazing players, but with their one superstar right now with Luca and Jokic, they're doing incredible. Yeah, no, and it's and it's just you love to see the 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 chemistry really prove better than oh, yeah. just the superpower that we saw with the the failure of the Nets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh well, that was a crazy situation like yeah. Kyrie not playing with his uh max vaccine stuff and then you got Harden leaving it's all crazy yeah and then now the Sixers are doing those beautiful three-point or the free throw shooting oh my gosh right got which the two highest highest uh free throw shooters in the league <laughs> on the same team that's why I'll always say Jokic MVP yep um but yeah and then your sons how you feeling with uh Paul out ah you know well Actually, Booker is out, going to be out for the next like three to four games because he has COVID <laughs> protocols. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we're without our two best players right now. But we won last night. We had a good win against, granted, it was the Blazers. <laughs> we're not a good team. But it's, you know, it's a win's a win. I was getting a little scared because of the first two games after Paul was out, we lost two straight. Yeah. So I was like, I was a little shaky. But I feel like once Booker comes back, we got the coach and we got the, we got the, we got the team. We'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, you guys got an offensive rating of, 113.6 which is third in the league and defensive which is 105.8 i mean that's fourth and yeah i, mean, I don't know how you get better than that yeah. so that that bench there's really uh helping out which oh, something yeah. the nuggets have always lacked yeah <laughs> i mean depth is just so important yeah like you see yeah. teams with superstars every year that lose yeah because they don't have anyone else <laughs> yeah i mean honestly that's why i think the nets won the trade because they got so much depth with yep. i mean they obviously got ben simmons but then they got andre drummond they got seth curry seth they're just Curry's a baller. they're just able to they're able to create more of a solidified team rather than a team like the Sixers in my opinion but yeah no definitely I mean it sucks right now because Katie Katie just came back yeah. so he's back but yeah. Kyrie's still out Katie like you know he has his injuries so like they're playing yeah <laughs> just role players yeah so it's like you want them to like make the playoffs and see what they can do but if their players are always hurt yeah you know it's just when it you create such uh, an organization that develops such winners and then you get those guys hurt 
it just, especially with a coach like Steve Nash, a two-time MVP, I think, one or two-time MVP. Yeah, two-time, yeah. He, uh, I know Shaq's always upset about that, yeah. but that was <laughs> um, Kobe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I just think definitely the ability for those guys to be healthy would obviously skyrocket them, but they're still gonna they're still gonna be scary in the playoffs. I think. Yeah. No. About some of the other East teams. So we just talked about the Sixers and the Nets. Who else we got? We got the Bulls. Yeah. You know, my hometown team, not my favorite team, <laughs> but it is my hometown team. So, you know, you love to see him doing good. Yeah. DeRozan. Yeah. I mean, I mean, come on. Yeah. Like revived his career. Yeah. He was never bad. I'm saying he never yeah. had a bad year. But San Antonio kind of. San Antonio took him off a little, him a little bit. And now he's just going crazy. Yeah, I know. And, and uh, to look at Miami, too. And they're getting Vic Oladipo coming back, yep. which I kind of forgot he was on that yeah. team. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's they're just, I mean, talking about depth, those guys, mm -hmm. they're a great example of that, too. And, and he got Spolster. I mean, yeah, he's been good for so long. Yeah. With every team he has, yeah. he's just good. Yeah. No, and it's, you just loved it. I mean, that's just a likable team. I, I really do, because the Sixers, man, they don't like, I don't like them. They, yeah. they, don't, they don't really it's have likable players. Yeah. Um, but like guys like Chicago and Miami, they just got dogs and they just, they're, mm. they're straight ballers and you love to see it. But you know, I, I can't really like full on support the Bulls because yeah. you know, all my, all my buddies are Bulls fans. I yeah. can't give them too much hope. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I can't like praise them that much, but I mean, what they're doing after their rough years yeah. is incredible. After Jimmy Butler, I didn't know where, what direction they were going. I know that those D Rose 2011. Oh man. I thought that was going to be, those are the days. Take them to the promised land, but boy, they <laughs> yeah. kind of got screwed over there. Um, D Rose too coming back is the reason Kemba got benched in, yep. indefinitely, or I think for the rest of the oh, season. Knicks are, right? oh my god, I can't even watch him. You follow Rob Perez on Twitter? Yeah, yeah, no, he uh, he definitely is. <laughs> he's my great source of Knicks content because <laughs> he always talks about how they find ways to lose, which is definitely and true. It's with incredible us. because them and the Lakers are yeah. always on national television. Yeah. And yeah. no one wants to watch no them. Wants to watch it them. is so. It's like it's bad basketball. Yeah, I mean, you talking about Portland Lakers are two games ahead of Portland to be and to Portland drop out of the playoffs. Not good. No, it's, and, it's insane. Yeah, and Dame's out and everything. Yeah, with McCollum. McCollum's gone. Like McCollum's it's just not gone, a good yeah. team. And you're no. telling me the Lakers. Yeah, with LeBron. Like honestly, I'll never like crap on LeBron. Yeah. But like you gotta win. Yeah, you can't like be do you put on all these stat lines, and I like to call them like empty stats. Yeah, because you're you're getting the stat lines, but you're not doing it. Yeah, yeah, it's no. useless. And and it just creates like I don't know those LeBron fans. They're they're hard to get. The guys who are completely anti-LeBron, like Skip Bayless, you know yeah. those. They're hard to be on their side, but also the the pro Bron guys. Like he's doing incredible things at 37. Stuff no one's ever seen, mm -hmm. but. Man, those Lakers are funny to watch. Yeah, you got to win games. Yeah, and I, I I agree with you. Like you you agree with those guys sometimes, yeah. but sometimes they're just hating. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, for no reason. And and the Lakers too with Westbrook, I I would always talk talk a bunch of smack about his turnovers and everything. Mm -hmm. But you know he's really improved that. But his just his presence on the court, his plus minus is just. I just bad. I don't think. I he think LeBron thought they were going to mesh well yeah. because they both have like a similar, similar like fast pass the ball first yeah. play style. Yeah, but it just didn't work. And then you got Davis; he yeah. never plays. No, he's he's, <laughs> he's always injured. He's made a glass. He. I he, mean, if you have LeBron and AD playing the whole year, I'm giving you title contenders. Yeah, like when they were healthy, they won the championship. Yeah. Like, well, if you just read the team names, like James, Dwight, Howard, Westbrook, Carmelo, Anthony. Oh my God! Ten years ago, yeah, you're just <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, it's, it'd be crazy to even hear that. So it's 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 weird to see that they're only 27. And yeah, 35. it's weird to see they're struggling because yeah. you're like, this team was made to yeah. be good. Yeah, no, and and they just 
I mean, talk about find ways to lose. They're they're a great example of just they're a turnover machine and they just mm -hmm. no chemistry and they win for the big names and obviously didn't pay out. But. Yeah, it's like when you see a team with like no like drive, yeah. like they just don't have a motor to like win. Yeah, and it's it's clearly because you have so many old guys. Yeah, and I guarantee if you ask all of them, they're gonna say they had nothing left to prove. Yeah, they just they're, yeah. they're playing to win, but at the same time they yeah. proved enough to like be that top tier player. So they're like, they're not playing at the high level they used to. Yeah. And I mean, as a lifelong fan of the nuggets, I really wanted to see Melo get a championship right. obviously in the, in the powder blue, but yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they, he just, he's not who he used to be. Le LeBron has always, always been a he's, dominant force, but yeah. the, all these old guys, like they're good, but it's not what it's like, past their time. Yeah. It's past their time. Like I appreciate what they did for the game and yeah. how good they were. Yeah. Like Melo will still give you 15, maybe 20 off yeah. the bench on some nights, but like they're just not getting those consistent numbers to help you win enough. Yeah. I mean, in like 2012, if you told people Melo would be off the bench for the Lakers, <laughs> right? Their minds would be blown, but no. yeah, no. And it's funny too. Cause they just lost last night to, to the Celtics by 20. 21. Yeah, and then you got, what was it, last week? They lost to the Pelicans. Yeah. Like by, 30? by 30. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I mean, even the Clippers, they don't even have. Uh, yeah. They don't have their stars. They don't have George and or. They're still or, losing. Yeah. Them. No, it's. Was that seven straight, right? I think yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Seven straight to the Clippers. Yeah. And the last two have been out with George yeah. and Leonard. It's yeah. So these Laker fans, I think that's why I also like to root for them to lose, is yeah. their fan base is just oh, their fan very frustrating. So. Oh boy. But yeah, no, the West, I mean, how do you feel about Utah? You know, Utah's the same thing with me every year. Yeah. They get the good record in the regular season. They look super promising. They got great coaching. Yeah. I think they have a really good team. They just don't do it in no, playoffs. No. They make it to a certain round and they just stop playing basketball yeah. and they lose. And so it's like, I want to be high on them yeah. and I want to have them like the like top of the West. They're going to maybe make a run, but they just don't. Yeah. <laughs> they just continue to fail me over yeah. and over again. No, and it's as a Nuggets fan, the fact that they drafted both Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert oh, and, and right, traded right. both of them away. <laughs> a little salty on that, but at the same time, the 3-1 comeback is also. Yeah. But yeah, no, the, the Jazz... They mesh great. Inglis, that was a crazy. I was really surprised that he got shipped out of uh, yeah. Utah. But he's, you know, he's old yeah. and he's towards ACL. That's so true. It's like, That's true. Do you really want to pay this guy? Yeah. To just like be injured? <laughs> yeah. No. And and I definitely think uh, they just like you said, they just get stagnant in those playoffs, and then they just make nothing of it. And uh, but what I'm really excited to see is the, is the Grizzlies. I oh, think the Grizzlies are super fun to watch. Yeah. We were talking about the 2011 Bulls. Yeah. I see so much. Yeah. That oh yeah. Because Ja is like the same player. I would not, I'm not trying to like put him in that category, yeah. but he's averaging the points. He's yeah. averaging the assists. Like he's doing the things that yeah. Rose did and they have a really good record. Oh yeah. I mean, I could easily see him if I, I'd be shocked if he finishes his career without an MVP. Oh, he's just, 100%. he's crazy. And what is his third year? Second yeah. year? Yeah. Second, I think third. Third year. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. he's a third year. But, um, I mean, him with Jaron Jackson Jr. too. Yeah. I was, and you got like other guys like Desmond Bain. Yeah. Desmond yeah. Bain, Brandon Clark. They got a good yeah. team. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's what I really like. I mean, if you look at these even the top six, Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis, Utah, Dallas, Denver, you really just notice there's no superstar. Like, there's superstars, but there's no none of these big threes. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's just, especially when Murray and Porter Jr. are back in Denver. But same, Dallas is, I think, the most impressive in that Dallas sense. Dallas because it's just Luka. Yeah, now, especially when they shipped off Porzingis, Porzingis too, is yeah. gone. It's like Luka, Brunson's another name. Yeah. I mean... Oh, they got Bertans from uh, Wizards. Oh, that's true. So, like, they have good role players. Yeah. But it's literally just Doncic yeah. and, like, the star yeah. caliber on that yeah. team. No, it, it, and it's crazy. And I think, you know, I also really see that in Milwaukee. Um, 
And obviously Giannis, two-time MVP, yep. multiple defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. Completely decked out. He's a Hall of Famer already, yeah, and he's, he's not right. even 20. He's not even in his 30s. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I think, too, in Boston. Boston gives me Utah vibes. Boston of, does. Of I just agree. can't do can't do anything. Like I they get their record, they're showy, like they they're fun to watch, yeah. but they get to those playoffs and they just lose. Yeah. And we've been seeing it since Tatum was a rookie. Yeah. They like the years they played against LeBron, obviously that's different. You know, you lose LeBron when you're yeah. prime at Cleveland. Yeah. But they just haven't done anything since. Yeah. I mean, and, and you really look at too um Jalen Brown. I, I love watching him. He's oh, yeah. he he can shoot, but I think uh his interview always cracks me up of him saying he's going to get five or six rings. Oh, I just saw that. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, I mean, it's he's shooting high. Look, but, like, I agree. You got to have that mentality. Oh yeah. To like win, you got to like, I'm going to win six rings, six years. Yeah. But like at the same time, like when you watch it back, yeah. Years later, you're like, I probably shouldn't have said yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. No, yeah, we'll see. And I mean, how do you feel about the play-in tournament? I know that's a relatively. I new... actually like the play-in tournament. Okay. Because I feel like. When I started to watch basketball, there were a lot of teams I liked watching and had like decent records, but they couldn't get in because like the nine or ten seed. Yeah. So I like this because like if a team had injuries throughout the regular season and they get guys back for the play and they can make the playoffs still yeah. and make a run. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it definitely it, it it shows more of an excitement that the league it's kind it was kind of growing stagnant. Yeah. Those like 2015, 2016 seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is re- a lot sooner than that, but yeah. I think. Uh, the fact that like New Orleans is going to be playing against the Lakers at this point, I like I love to see it. And well, so who is in who's the four right now? Four right now. Um, it's mid. So for the West, it's going to be Minnesota at seven, Clippers at eight, Lakers at nine, and then Pelicans at ten. And then in the East, we got Toronto, Brooklyn, which is, blows my mind. <laughs> so I think it goes. And then Charlotte, and then Atlanta. Seven plays at eight. Yep. Nine plays at ten, but then nine plays at the winner of that one has to play someone else, right? So I think it's um, nine or seven plays eight, nine plays ten, and then the winners of each one then play each other. Like seven would play the winner of the seven, or whoever wins seven and eight plays nine and ten. Like there has to be a second one to be. There's only another one though. Oh, that's right. I I I saw a bracket. I saw how it works. I just can't remember. It was like seven eight play. 9 10 play, but then 9 10 play someone else to get yeah. it. Yeah. So the 7 8, whoever wins that, they go. Oh, that's what it is. 7 and 8 play. Whoever wins is immediately the seventh. Mm-hmm. And then the loser of the seventh and eight plays the winner of the ninth that's and the right. tenth. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Because that's how you get two two more playoffs. And then, teams. yeah, you add those. So, yeah, man. I mean, the league's looking great. It's this kind of final stretch is going to be very interesting. A oh, lot yeah. of these records are close. I mean, I think the Lakers. I don't. I don't think they can beat the Clippers. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're clearly they're kryptonite. Yeah. yeah I think I, if they get to that maybe that eight seed. Yeah. Then they can play the Timberwolves. I think they can beat the Timberwolves. Yeah. I like the Timberwolves. Yeah. I don't think they have enough experience, and no. I don't think they can guard LeBron. Yeah. And if Davis is back, I don't see how you beat them in a play-in. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, can they easily lose in six? Yeah. Oh yeah. But <laughs> but that play-in like all or nothing, they can they can definitely hunger down. Because like, there's a certain like level when you're like a superstar yeah. and you have a game you need to win, they, they're going to play that level. Yeah. So like if LeBron gets in that game and he needs to win to go, they're going to win. Yeah. It's going to happen. Yeah. No, this this is going to be a, a fun ending of the season and I'm excited to see what happens. But yeah, I think that does it for about today. Thanks yeah. uh, thanks for having me on. And oh, for sure. Ready for that. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys in the next episode.
Hey there! I'm Lauren from the Collegian at RMSMC, and you're listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. And we're back on the Rocky Mountain Review. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to Tech News on KCSU Fort Collins. A transparency report found that Amazon is contracting suppliers in China that use or are linked to forced labor, despite Amazon's supply chain standards prohibiting unpaid and forced labor. Emma Roth of The Verge reports that the Campaign for Accountability's research group, the Tech Transparency Project, found evidence that Amazon knew five suppliers had relationships with labor camps violating the human rights of Uyghur Muslims and continued to work with them. Uyghur Muslims began facing forced sterilization, forced labor and internment camps, and continuous surveillance in China due to Chinese policies that view Muslims as a terrorism risk. Uyghur Muslims have also been forced into re-education camps where they are often stripped of their cultural identity. The report showed that the suppliers working with Amazon were publicly denounced for both direct and indirect connections to forced labor in China, with these suppliers being responsible for the construction of Kindle, Fire TV, and Echo products, along with the Amazon Basics line. Evidence against three suppliers, Luxshare Precision Industry, Akbel Polytech, and Lens Technology, showed the companies using forced labor. The two other companies, Gore-Tec and Hefe BOE Optoelectronics, used suppliers linked to accusations of forced labor. After Russia removed citizens' access to Facebook last week, Russians are using virtual private networks and other workarounds to access blocked sites. According to Shannon Bond and Bobby Allen at National Public Radio, demand for VPN access grew by over 600% since the invasion of Ukraine was amplified in recent weeks. Friday, Facebook was blocked by the Russian government and other companies like TikTok blocked Russian users from uploading content in compliance with sanctions in the U.S. and the European Union. While Russia blocks Facebook, it doesn't appear to stop users from accessing WhatsApp, which shares the parent company Meta. As technology becomes more limited, Russian citizens struggle to access news from outside of the country. Netflix has also suspended Russian access to the platform, along with Twitch, even Telegram, a messaging service which prides itself on being free of censorship or other restrictions, is reported to have blocked RT and Sputnik channels in Europe, while Ukraine's government uses the site to boost speeches and other content from Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. The Ukrainian military called on local drone users to form a volunteer drone force to fight the Russian invasion. Matt O'Brien at the Associated Press reports that Drone UA, a local company dedicated to drone sales in the country, gave away its supply in hopes of protecting their country from the Russian invasion. However, the drones are supplied by DJI, a Chinese company that tracks users' location, and so far haven't given specifics on what they're doing with it. While experienced drone users can disable location services, many of the volunteers are just starting out with drones. The country is now working to get more drones, especially alternatives to DJI products, into Ukraine to help with the search and rescue operations, among other tasks. An Australian expert on drone security, Mike Monick, said that Ukrainian drone operators are operating with high risks. Monick said, quote, Locating the operator's location could result in directed missile fire, given what we've seen in the fighting so far. It's no longer rules of engagement, as we have had in previous conflicts, end quote. I'm Coda Babcock for KCSU News. To listen to any of today's segments, check out the KCSU app or follow us on Spotify at KCSU News for archived episodes of the Rocky Mountain Review. And now for the weather. Today we saw partly cloudy skies with a high of 36 degrees and a low of 16. Wednesday, expect colder conditions with snow and a high of 21 with a low of 8. 
Expect four inches of snow on Wednesday, and Thursday's temperatures will be about the same, with a high of 23 and a low of 2, with cloudy skies throughout the day. And for Friday's weather, be sure to tune in from 4 to 5 in the afternoon this Thursday for the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. I'm Coda Babcock with KCSU News, and information comes from the Weather Channel. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. We'd like to thank our guests today, as well as Portia Cook, Thomas Taylor, David DeMuth, Stevie Jones, Hannah Copeland, Bryn McCall, Jack Balsley, London Shell, Hannah Hitchcock, Elliot Hutchinson, Eric Zhang, Brennan Cole, Bridget Bandel, Eliza Droder, Dylan King, Michelle Ellis, Ben Haney, Ben Kruger, Anna Schwabi, Marie Tanksley, Peter Walk, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Allie. And we finally couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you.